Hello and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck. And I am so excited for our guest in the studio today. We have Ashley Gersh. Ashley, welcome. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. It's so great to be here. Oh, it is. I'm so excited for this conversation, even though it's a very heavy topic that we're going to be talking about. Um, I met Ashley. She has her own podcast Uh, which is great. And I'm going to let you talk all about that too. And I was fortunate enough to be a guest and we had such a great conversation that I am really excited to continue it here. Me too. We balance each other so well with our different perspectives as it relates to career that I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Me too. Well, I've already uh, negated my number one rule, which is under promise and over deliver. That's great. Because we've set the expectations high. (laughs) But just by way of background, Ashley is a therapist. She specializes in loss. She has her own podcast. You can follow her on Instagram at that foodie therapist. Is that right? That is right. Perfect. So you and I were chatting and we were talking a lot about this topic of loss. And so to kick things off, could you just talk a little bit about your background and what drew you to that specialty? Absolutely. So I got interested in loss because of the losses I experienced in my own family. And as time went on and I specialized in my education and my career in therapy, I was also recognizing that we experience grief from all the losses that happen in life, whether it's a change in life transitions from a breakup, a chronic illness, um, there's losses in all of those things or a family estrangement, right? We experience so many different small endings in life that people don't realize are triggering a grief experience. Mm. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. So when we experience a loss or an ending, right, whether we choose it or we don't choose it, you know, it's unexpected or we know it's coming, these losses can trigger feelings of grief, Mm -hmm. right? there is a loss outside of the context of death. So people are grieving so many things, grieving the expectations they had for a family with a partner that is now being totally broken up because of a divorce, or maybe the lifestyle they expected to live in a career from a certain job that they were planning on having for many years down the road until maybe they were unexpectedly laid off like during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they they knew a job loss. Maybe they knew unemployment was coming because the company was like undergoing a, a transition or was you know, breaking apart, you know, ownership or, or something was being dismantled. Um, that's still a loss, right? There, someone had an expectation of what life would be like, and that's no longer happening. So that end triggers grief. That's so interesting because as you're talking, I'm thinking about the fact that work is such a microcosm of your larger life, right? You're already in this place where maybe you're not 100% yourself all the time because there is an element of professionalism and you know keeping some sanctity of your personal life personal and your professional life per- professional. Sure. But people are people. And they go through really, really hard times and then have to show up at work and be good to work with 
and be a team player and smile. And sometimes it's the last thing you want to do. And if I can share a personal story. Please do. I <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I lost my grandmother when I had just started working. I was probably three and a half months in my first full-time job. Oh, I'm so sorry. Wow. Uh, thank you. And I remember at the time my hours were late. So I would get in at 7.30 in the morning and I would leave by probably about 10 or 11. And I remember around 7.30, I got a phone call from my aunt who told me that my grandmother wasn't doing well. And at this time, all of our bosses were still there and I was outside I think I was walking home from getting, or walking back to the office, home, Freudian slip, from getting dinner, and I didn't know what to do, and I just went back to my desk, and I sat down, and I kept working. Mm. And then it wasn't until about two hours later, so fast forward, maybe it's 8.30, maybe it's 9, my boss was still there, and I went into his office, and I was like, you know, this is very awkward for me, but I just got a phone call that my grandmother's not doing well and she's probably going to pass. Is it okay with you if I go home? And he looked at me and was like, what are you still doing here? Why didn't you go home in the first place? That's a lot of compassion. A lot of employer. Yeah, a lot of compassion. And I was very fortunate. But I had in a very short period of time to process a lot of different emotions the sadness that I was feeling, the fear that I was feeling that I was going to lose my grandmother, the fear around, oh, but I have to show face at work. What do I do in this situation? The uncertainty around that. And I was fortunate that when I spoke to my employer that it was met with compassion. So the first question I have for you is, what advice do you have for people who are navigating something really big in their personal life and then have to show up at work. That is so hard. So the first thing is extending that compassion to yourself. Mm. All that compassion that your boss gave you, like we need to be telling that to ourselves too. I think a lot of people want to go into just pushing through and are like, I should be able to show up for work, even though someone just died, who, whom I loved, who was such a huge part of my life mm. that made such an impact in my identity or who I am, right? Um, or, or even if it was a minor loss and you're still feeling that grief, right? Give that compassion to yourself, you know? Like it's, there's nothing wrong with me for feeling this way. You know, it's normal that I'm experiencing this sadness and the struggle to show up to work at the same time that I'm grieving. There's nothing wrong with me for that. It's normal and I can understand why. How do you advise that people live in that duality? Mm, holding space for the both and, right? Oh two, gosh. Two things can be true at You're once. You're such a therapist. <laughs> I can tell right now. <laughs> That's why you have me on today, right? <laughs> it is, it is. But what does that mean, holding space for the both and? And because sure. there's, you know, there's the thought and then there's the practice. And I know it's very hard. I mean, I'm speaking from experience here and also from working with a lot of people that I know are overachievers and are very critical. We're all our own worst critic. How do you practically allow yourself to be both at once? You have to give yourself permission and practice 
that practice, right? You can be, a lot of people oftentimes feel guilt when there is grief, right? So like guilt for not showing up to work when they take time off to grieve or to get the funeral arrangements together, you know, to give themselves some time. Um, But both of those things can be true at once, right? You can feel both sad that someone you love just died and guilty for not showing up to work. And sometimes guilt is just something to notice, not necessarily something to fix. I know a very wise woman who says that guilt is anger turned inward. Mm. So that if you're thinking guilty thoughts, it's really that you're angry at yourself about something or angry at being put in a position or feeling out of control. Mm. Sounds like there's a lot of forgiveness of oneself needed there. Which again is very hard. Very. Very hard to do. Right. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about big, big loss, right? Because obviously there's the death of a loved one. There's a divorce, which you could see as the death of a marriage. Yes. There's um, so many other things that fundamentally affect people's lives that they have to navigate, again, in this personal space but sometimes have to do it in public. And so when someone has to do something like this with colleagues around, where maybe they sit in a cubicle and might have to have a certain conversation next to somebody that they'd prefer to keep private if there's no conference room available, what would you recommend in terms of dealing with other people? So after someone's experienced a big loss, and then how would they navigate dealing with other people in the workplace? Yeah. I think it depends on what exactly they need, right? Are they able to have that privilege to take time off to then give them the space and time that they need to show up as their best self again, or at least a more more you know, focused, alert, attentive version of themselves to be efficient and productive at work. Mm -hmm. Um, If they don't have that privilege of taking time off, you know, giving themselves room and space to get what they need while at work. Maybe they take that five minute bathroom break, you know, and they they breathe and they try to be kind to themselves in that moment. Mm. You know, maybe they bring their favorite drink with them to work so it's more enjoyable. Maybe they- As long as it's work appropriate. (laughs) right right so no alcohol um but you know coffee or tea whatever right sorry just bringing some levity to a very heavy heavy topic right the the things that are like within their control because how other people respond to them is completely outside of their control I've said this once and I will say it a hundred more times that was one of the hardest lessons for me to learn that I can't control what other people do or say or how they react. I can only control my message and what I say to them and hope for the best. Absolutely. And that can be really difficult for people, right, when they feel misunderstood or unheard, right, and invalidated. Yeah, and I think about the times I've gone through in my life where I've experienced grief and you really lack clarity in those moments. No matter if you're the best person at controlling your emotions, sometimes they just get the better of you. And sometimes you're completely overwhelmed, completely out of your control. 
Absolutely. There, that's also a lot is out of our control, right? When our nervous system is dysregulated, um, we're not thinking with the logical part of our brain. So that begs the question then, if you have a colleague that you know is experiencing a really big loss, how best can you be there for them? That's great question. And I think that networking, that support is really important. I think the first thing you can also ask them is, well, well, one, the first thing you could do is extend that compassion to them, letting them know, you know, that you're you know, sorry for their loss, that you're thinking of them, that, you know, you can imagine maybe how hard and difficult this time is mm-hmm. and then ask them what they need or how you can be there for them. Let them tell you what that looks like. I think a lot of times people want to go into fix it mode just naturally, right? Mm. Um, it's Cause it's a very helpless situation when there's nothing you can do to change what happened and you want to be there for someone. Um, but asking them, you know, how you can be there for them allows them to just open that up. And oftentimes people who are experiencing grief maybe don't know what they need, just someone's presence you know, Mm. just sitting with them, letting them know that you're there for them, even to talk or to grab that after work drink. (laughs) (laughs) That one can be alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Happy hour time. Yes. You know, so letting them know that you are there for them probably will go a long way. Well, and I love the way you phrase that. How best can I be here for you? Because I think so much of it is contextual. And that probably blends into what you're talking about with going into fix-it mode. You think you know what's best for them. You think you know what they need based on your past experience and what you wanted, but you have no idea what works for them. Right. And that has so many parallels to communication. It has so many parallels to just every aspect of interpersonal relationship in so many ways. Right. That I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful ways, way to phrase that. And I was chatting with a good friend of mine on the phone while I was on my way to the studio. And we were talking about the concept of big loss, which we've talked about, and then small loss. And, you know, I've already expressed, and it should come as no surprise, that um, I can be very critical of, of myself. I am a lifelong overachiever. So... If I say the wrong thing or I uh, wish a meeting had gone better or, you know, this might be a little bit bigger on the scale of small to big, someone else got the promotion I wanted, right? These losses in some ways can be equated to disappointments. Absolutely. So how, how do you work with people to keep that in mind? Perspective. I think it's important for people to also understand, like you talked a lot about awareness, you know, on my show Mm -hmm. and just that awareness that it's uh, normal for your identity to be completely shifted or, you know, your identity to be disrupted when something, when you had a vision for yourself and that vision is a meeting reality. Mm. So that job loss, right? Or that promotion that you did not get, but you really wanted. You now are seeing yourself in a different way. So that first thing is to 
regulate your emotions, right? There's probably disappointment or anger or frustration. And we can't necessarily make these feelings go away, but we can regulate them, right? Mm -hmm. With that self-compassion. You know, are you telling yourself it's normal that I feel this way for me to feel, for me to feel disappointed that I didn't get that job, you know? And then the next step, right, is, is kind of, are you beating yourself up and continuing to ask yourself, what did I do wrong? Why did they talk to me this way? You know, why did this happen? Or are you trying to make meaning in a different way? Because people who focus on making sense and meaning of what happened through that lens, which they're like beating themselves up, right? Why did they do this? Why didn't this happen? Am I not good enough? They end up re-traumatizing themselves opposed to allowing themselves to grieve what didn't happen and be able to reframe those thoughts into possibilities. Okay, well, my skill set is in this and I can focus on this and maybe there's a new opportunity in this direction, you know, after they allow themselves to regulate those emotions and to grieve what wasn't. That was so eloquently put because I got this really clear visual of when you don't allow yourself just to feel the feelings, right? Which we're all guilty of because it's not fun to be upset. It's not fun to be angry. No. And sometimes you have to, right? Like be in the mud to go through it. Yeah. And it sucks. Normalize that, validate that, right? Give yourself that permission to feel what you need to feel to get through it. And I, I, I really appreciate the way you oriented it toward possibility, because I feel like in my work, particularly on the career and executive coaching side and on the strategic advisory side, to be honest with businesses, it's so much about, okay, but what could be, right? This is true. What's your part in it? Because we don't receive criticism without having a little bit of a part in it, whether or not we don't want to admit it, mm-hmm. right? Um, what's your part? What can you take away from this experience? And how can you take it to learn and grow. Right. And so I almost feel like there's an element of when you don't feel and when you don't sit in the discomfort, it prevents you from actually moving on. And what you said about re-traumatizing yourself, it made me think of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, which happens to be sitting <laughs> on our table right now because I happen to be reading it. I but, looked over as you said, it, I was like, is that, that's the book that we're, that's right yes. here, isn't it? <laughs> it's top of mind because I'm reading it right sure, now. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I take it with me everywhere. That's what I do in effort to not scroll on my cell phone. Oh, nice. When I'm waiting places. Nice. But that's neither here nor there. But one of the things he says is that sometimes it's just about at-bats. Sometimes it's just about practice and it's just about, you know, not how well you do something, but how much opportunity you have to exercise that muscle. And so that's why I kind of love this idea of practicing on the quote, smaller losses Mm -hmm. so that when the bigger losses come around, you're practiced, you're prepared, you have more um, self-compassion in your pocket because when you tripped up the word with the client that you wish you didn't mess up, you know, that's low stakes. But instead of beating yourself up, you allowed yourself to breathe and move on. I love how you said muscle because 
all of these tools and things like some people might be hearing these the thoughts and ideas for the first time today. And you need to give yourself some grace to work on building this muscle, right? Being kind to yourself takes practice, being compassionate, you know, when things, when you make a mistake or when you mess up, right? It takes time to work on being kind to yourself. And although we, we always, you know, kind of want to prepare ourselves for disappointment, like, oh, if I, you know, think this through, then when that thing actually happens, I won't be as disappointed or it won't be as scary. It won't be as difficult, but we can't really prepare for all of the losses, right? In our life, we can only prepare on how we work on regulating our emotions and trusting ourselves to cope with these things when they do happen, right? Like I will trust that I have my back, you know, to support myself and be there for myself when something really upsetting happens. But we can't always prepare for that each really upsetting thing. Well, that just hits the nail on the head, which is the self-belief to know that you are you can always take care of yourself. Yes. And I had a very wise woman tell me to make a list of all the times I have taken care of myself in my past. Oh, I love that. And when you sit there and you read it, you're like, wow, mm-hmm. you know what? I can handle myself. You kind of go back and you think, how did I get through tough times in the past? Can yeah. I use those tools now? Can I think about how I got through them back then that can help me kind of put this, like reality check these expectations of myself? Yes. And when you're talking about preparation, I'm thinking about worry. Because I think so many people, myself included, <laughs> think about, okay, well, if I think about this one thing from every different angle and I figure out the right way to do it, then it'll be fine. And I think that's a very slippery slope from strategic to worrying to anxiety. Right. And did you ever see the movie Van Wilder? I don't think so. Oh my gosh. That's because you're younger than me. I officially (laughs) feel old. Tell me more about this movie. Okay. Well, it probably hasn't aged well because it came out when I was in probably high school. (laughs) But there's this quote. It's Ryan Reynolds before he became Ryan Reynolds. Okay. And the quote is, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Mm. And the second I heard that, it was like light bulbs going off in my head. I loved that quote. Yeah, that's so great. It's very on point with like depression is worrying about things from the past that you can't change and anxiety is worried. Anxiety is worrying about things in the future that may or may not ever happen. Oh, I like that distinction. Past versus future. Right. And it very eloquently begs the punchline of the only thing you can do is be in the present. Yes, yes. The present is all we have right now. Yeah. So let's transition to job loss. Sure. Really quickly, especially in this economic environment, it seems like almost every day you see something else about some company laying off 8,000 employees, 12,000 employees. And there are a lot of people who are struggling right now, not only with the reality of job loss, but also the worry and anxiety of the thing potentially happening in, in happening in the future sure of losing their job sure so what advice would you give to people struggling with that right now who were just laid off like if they had just lost their job what let's advice? take laid off first and then we can talk about worrying about getting laid yeah. off yeah so if you were just laid off it, you're 
your identity was just disrupted, right? You experienced a loss that probably affects a big part of your life, right? Your income, your, your finances, how you supported yourself or a family. Allow yourself to grieve. Give yourself the space to feel those feelings, normalize it, extend compassion to yourself. And then see kind of what I said earlier about that sense-making, you know, are you going into that mode where you are ruminating and maybe re-traumatizing yourself and thinking like, why did this happen to me? Was it my fault? You know, what did I do? And instead see if you can validate these feelings, you know, you know, maybe you're ruminating on it because you're grieving the unfairness and Mm. you're longing for that stability. Mm. Validate that, you know, and then maybe now is the time to also experiment, you know, try new things, see what kind of job you want, you know, integrate these ideas into that, those possible future opportunities with noticing what your strengths are um, or what you like or don't like and, and experiment with figuring what, out what that is. And also use this time to really like explore um, ways that you are also having things outside of your job. Maybe all of your friends were there, you know? So figure out who are these other people outside of your job that you connect to. Expand that support network and that social network. You know, a lot of, and, and grieve that if that's a, if that's sad too. Maybe a lot of your friends were at work and now that sucks. They're gone. That's or, such a great point. Mm-hmm. Such a great point because there are so many deep relationships that get formed at work that sometimes it's not just about the income loss. Sometimes it's not just about the identity loss, which I feel like we could do an entire episode on identity. So I'm going to have you back on that. Great. Um, great. Can't wait. Can't wait too. <laughs> But it's about grieving the loss of seeing these people every day. Yeah. And you don't have to not be friends with them anymore, you know, if you're really close to them. That friendship doesn't have to end just because the job title ended, the job position ended. Um, But see if you can also focus, like, on those social networks. You know, maybe you also figure out what things you enjoy doing outside of work, like hobbies or things that you like to do for fun. You know, a lot of meaning for people comes from their job. Yeah. But it's also a time if you just lost your job to figure out where else that meaning can come from. So it's really looking at it as a learning opportunity. If you're open to that, it can be. Yeah. Well, you're a therapist. I'm a coach. I would say that we're both advocating (laughs) to be open to it. Um, You know, one of my favorite sayings, which I don't know if I've coined, but I'm going to take credit for it. Um, is sometimes the best gifts come in crappy packaging. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because sometimes I think those things that don't feel good can be really good for you and really illuminating. Obviously, there are circumstances that don't fit into that. But when it comes to losing a job or walking away from a job, maybe that's because that was necessary on your path and you learned a lot about what you value and what's important to you and the types of people you want to be around. Absolutely. I agree with all of that. When one door closes, another one opens. Again, about opportunity and about possibility. Right. Right? Right. There's, we can find those seeds of hope that were planted if we are in a position where we're allowing ourselves to see that. 
So what about people who are worrying about losing their jobs in this environment? It's if it's happened, you know, in the past, that's that's normal to have that, right? You mm-hmm. went through something where you're experienced, you went through something traumatic, right? And you might fear that happening again. Um, but focus on what you can control, right? Mm. And we don't have that crystal ball to know in the future if it will or it won't ever happen again. No one can tell us that. What we can focus on is that control can come or the predictability or stability, right, that we want can come from how we show up for ourselves, right, in times of uncertainty. So like I know the predictability can come from how I handle upsetting or unsettling situations or uncertainty in general. When you say predictability, it makes me think about consistency, which in my man, in my mind breeds safety. Mm, yes. Right. So it's again, going back to what you were saying about feeling safe, feeling secure, feeling like you can take care of yourself yeah. in so many ways. I used to joke that if I had a crystal ball, I'd be a billionaire because <laughs> I would right. play it in the stock market or something. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what you just said is very profound. And that's one of my favorite questions. What can you actually control? What is actually in your control? Because I do think people tend to think more is in their control than it's not. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain level of acceptance that's required for just saying, this is the situation. These are the facts. I can either say yes, I can either say no. I can either participate, I can either walk away. And there is a really great sense of empowerment once you are able to dig dig down to what you can do and what you can't do, because then that leads to action. Accountability leads to so much empowerment because we realize that we are in control of those choices, like you said before. And it's also really normal, right, for someone to feel that fear of something bad happening again, right? So to normalize that, it's stemming from a a trauma that was experienced, but maybe that needs some healing, right? That needs some processing to kind of break through those messages that maybe you're telling yourself around why that happened, Um, you know, or just the fear that you're sitting with about the uncertainty of the future and really focusing right on that compassion for yourself Mm -hmm. you know like that's that's a memory that happened in the past that's not happening right now back to what we have this present moment and reminding yourself of that so that you can regulate your nervous system again when it becomes activated when you're thinking about that time and the past or the uncertainty of the future yes i love everything you just said And I can't believe this, but our time has flown. Wow. Super quickly today. Um, As we wind down, I like to rapid fire two questions to my guests, if that's okay with you. Sure, let's go. I want to pick up on something you were just talking about, which is regulating your nervous system. Okay. So the first rapid fire question I have for you is what advice would you give to somebody if they're starting to feel the sweaty palms and the beating heart and, you know, getting a little dizzy, what tips do you have for them to just very quickly regulate their nervous system? Yeah. Well, to be able to do that very quickly, you have to know what works for you and to practice that coping skill. So the first thing that you can do is probably just name it. Okay. Okay. Anxiety has shown up for me, Mm. right? Something in my environment has made me feel stressed or anxious or overwhelmed. 
right? You've identified what it is. You know, it's not this foreign thing. Now it has a name to it. Mm-hmm. So you name it and then you can, and if it's anxiety, right, about the future or it's an intrusive thought, right, that, you know, may or may not happen, you can just tell yourself, okay, yeah, my, my brain is just trying to warn me that something could go wrong. And then you work on these grounding skills, right? Bringing yourself back to the present moment, focusing on your body, you know, <clears throat> you know, getting yourself really calm and grounded. And, and oftentimes we want to do this from like a bottom up approach. So that means creating safety in the body and the nervous system. So mindfulness, deep breathing, or maybe it's mindful movement, whatever it is that you can get access to with wherever you're at in your current environment and with what works for you in that moment, Mm. you know, to create that safety. So your body knows it's safe even when it's feeling anxious. Someone once gave me the hack of alternate nostril breathing. Yes. Which is you, you breathe in while holding one nostril, hold your breath, And before you breathe out, plug the other nostril and release the one that was previously plugged. It's very hard to do this when you're not on video and then breathe out. (laughs) But it does have some effect on your nervous system. And there's so much conversation around breath work and breathing. But there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because breathing, you know, self-compassion, all these things are going to calm the nervous system. And that's when you can go back into thinking logically, but it's really hard to just snap into trying to think logically if your nervous system's dysregulated. I know this was kind of a long answer for your rapid fire question. No, it's gold. (laughs) It's gold. So it was worth, it was worth the extra time. Good. So question two, Okay. take this however you will. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? I feel like I'm still learning so much in regards. Oh, you said take it as I will. But yeah, I guess in regards to what in particular, though, your own career, understanding now how people understand grief or process grief, your understanding of how people process emotion. Hmm. That's such a great question. What I wish I knew then that I know now. I think that I don't know everything and that's okay. You know, I think when we try, when we are, you know, quote unquote, an expert in our field, I think a lot of people maybe put pressure on themselves, or at least I know I've experienced that sometimes. And that can have me feeling stuck. Like I have to know everything, Mm. you know, in this particular topic. Right. But that's so impossible right? We don't know everything. We can't know everything. Uh, The more experiences we have, the more perspective it gives us. And as things constantly change, we need to constantly learn to keep up with those changes. I couldn't agree more. Constantly learn, constantly evolve. We're all works in progress. Yes. And I'm actually very uncomfortable with the term expert in general, because part of me philosophically and fundamentally thinks you can't necessarily be an expert in everything or anything necessarily, because there's so much that you don't even know yet. Nobody knows everything about a topic or nobody knows everything about everything. That's just. Yeah. And I think if some people think they do, they hinder themselves from learning more. Mm. And there's always something to learn. 
always growing. Yeah. It all goes back to curiosity. Mm-hmm. It seems like all of my podcasts are now ending that way. <laughs> really? What all roads theme. lead back to curiosity. I love it. Well, Ashley, this was unsurprisingly a fascinating conversation. Like I said, I feel like there are so many things for us to touch on. I feel like you're going to be back on the podcast for us to talk about a whole slew of them. Uh, first, can you let everybody know how they can connect with you and learn more about what you do? Absolutely. So people can check out my website, www.actionashley.com when they are ready to take action on their own self-growth and schedule therapy with me. They can reach me at my phone number 407-536-7509 or email me at ashley at actionashley.com. And if they'd like to follow for more mental health tips and get some more food for thought, they can follow me on my Instagram at thatfoodietherapist where I talk about mental health while eating food, kind of like you're meeting your therapist out at a restaurant. Which is great. Right. Yes. It helps some of the uh, the pills go down easier when there's some, you know, ice cream sundaes in, in the background and such. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you, Ashley. And thank you to all of our listeners, as always, for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. As you can tell, we always have great guests on the show. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and leave reviews. And please connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting on our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com or email us at info at jacquelinebeckconsulting.com. That's Jacqueline spelled J-A-C-L-Y-N. See you next time.